Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Corinthians chapter 5. Now you're, you're wondering, well, this doesn't sound like a resurrection passage, Rand. Uh, isn't that what we do on Easter? We do the resurrection. Well, yes, it is a resurrection passage. It is a result of the resurrection. That's why we have 2 Corinthians chapter 5, only because the tomb is empty. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, give us understanding of what these words mean. Not just what they say on the page, Lord, but what they are going to mean to us in our lives as we are obedient before you, as we understand the finished work of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore... If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. You know, as we look at at the week... And remember, the week starts last Sunday. I turn this off. Last Sunday, as as he enters in and all eyes are turned towards him, he has uh, stopped preaching. Jesus has stopped preaching out in the countryside. He is now in the very heart of the Jewish world at the most populous time in Jerusalem throughout the year. He is there so that every eye may be turned to him in preparation for his offering up of himself for the atonement for our sin. And all week he has gone through the examinations by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the scribes, and he has challenged them. And then in, in right before we get to the Last Supper, he, he gives the seven woes to the Pharisees. And, and, you know, you just don't want Jesus to say woe unto you because that's bad news. But he does seven times to the Pharisees. He says, just calls them a bunch of hypocrites. You do all these things. You add all these things on to what God's word says. God's word is plain. Here's what the scripture teaches. Oh, and by the way, I am the fulfillment of all that you know from your scriptures. That would be the Old Testament. He said, I am here not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Because everything that happened... During this week, everything that has happened in the ministry of Christ throughout his uh, official ministry, throughout his life, has been according to the scriptures. It has all been there if they were simply willing to see it, if their eyes were simply open to it, they would understand it. 
Now comes, if we, if we move in time, now comes the, the time of the crucifixion. And the crucifixion is a lot to go through. There are the trials, the, the trials that were illegal, that went throughout the night. There's standing, there's walking back and forth. There's the beatings, there's the crown of thorns, the nails in his hand and his feet, the thirst from dehydration and, and the whole trauma. But none of those things, as bad as they all were, none of them are as bad as the fact that that he took the weight of the sin of the world upon his person, and the Father's face was turned away from him. Now you understand that they have experienced this perfect unity from all eternity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, unbroken fellowship, unbroken unity, Christ, the same essence as the Father, the Spirit emanating from the Father and the Son. And suddenly on the cross... As he takes the weight of the sin of all humanity upon himself, the Father turns his face away from him. That is the big struggle. That is the most terrible thing. And here's the answer why Christ would go through all of that. Here is the answer why Jesus would endure all of that. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. For us. Now imagine that. Think of yourself. You don't have to go and look at the next person and say, well, I wouldn't do it for them. But think of your own heart. Would you go through that? Would you want somebody to go through that? You you might think, well, I'm not that bad that it took the death of the Son of God to save me. And the answer is, well, apparently we are. Because that's what the Lord did. If there was another way to atone for our sin, my goodness, the Lord would have done it. It would have been, it would have happened. But it took the ultimate perfect sacrifice of the Lord's Son. God made him who knew no sin to be my sin. All the suffering that I deserve, the weight of all my sin, all the agony that I deserve, Christ bore on the cross. But that's not where the story ends, because that's why we're here today. The story doesn't end on Friday at the cross. I mean, if it ended on Friday at the cross, we would be pitiful. We would be sad. We would have no hope at all. But the story really begins on Sunday morning when Peter and John hear the news, run to the tomb. They peer in, and what do they find? They find nothing. They they were expecting to find Jesus. That's what the ladies expected. They had brought all the the stuff to finish preparing the body uh, for burial. And they get there, and, and they find these cloths laying there. But no Jesus. Now, there was a question. They weren't even sure how they were going to get into the tomb because when you're buried, the stone is rolled in and then it is sealed with basically a wax seal. Like if, you, you know, if you're um, stylish, I, I'm not stylish, if you're stylish and have wax in one of those seals that you put on your envelopes, you know, and, and that's kind of the seal that was put on the tomb so that there could be evidence if there was any tampering. Well, they get there and, and they don't even have to look for that. Tampering, I mean, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. The cross of Jesus Christ looked like utter defeat, but it's not the last word in the atoning work of Christ. There's the resurrection. It's on the third day. It's today. The stone's rolled away. What do we say? He is risen. Risen indeed. The sinless one who was made sin on my account satisfies the wrath of God. He drank the cup 
that only the perfect spotless lamb could drink, having made full atonement. The father raised him from the grave, declared to all the world that he's the righteous one, and it is on his work alone that salvation rests. You can't add anything to it. You can't say, well, the work of Christ was good, but I need to do. No. What you need to do is believe. He has done the work. Remember the word on the cross? It is finished. It is paid in full. It is done. Nothing need to be added to the work of Christ. We are called to receive his grace, to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The resurrection is a word of both vindication of Christ. He is the Son of God, the perfect spotless Lamb, and justification. It is only in him that we find salvation. He's our representative. He's our substitute. So the death he dies, we die. The condemnation that he bears was our condemnation. He dies for us who believe. We love him and for, for we who love him and are called according to his purposes. God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ counts the righteousness of Christ to us and takes our sin and puts it on Christ. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Okay, he didn't have any sin. It's not like he was out, well, gee, i got to go find some. No, he was going to get it. And he wasn't going to get Randy's sin. He was going to get the sin of the entire world. All those who would be saved, their sin rests upon Christ. or Their sins are atoned for in the work of Christ. As they run to the grave to look in, the same word is used that is used in 1 Peter chapter 1 where it says, these are things into which the angels long to look. Now when Peter and John get there, they long to look into the tomb. And that's what they saw, nothing. Nothing on that Easter morning. They stooped to peer in and they saw an empty tomb. Everything had changed after that. Remember, the night before, they're thinking, it is all gone. We are all going to die. They're going to come and get us pretty soon. And they go in the empty tomb. And, and imagine their minds. They can't even get it around because they, Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. He said, what? as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, so the, man, so the Son of Man will be in the tomb for three days. And it, it wasn't registering. And even they looked into the tomb. Did they, do you think they saw... Well, that's what Jesus said was going to happen. He wasn't going to be here. It took a while for them to figure this out. And in fact, not until they saw him in the upper room. And he enters and says, peace to you. Did they actually understand? It was the evening of that first Easter. And there they are. They're upstairs. Doors are closed. Doors are locked. They're afraid for their very lives. They say, well, they came and got Jesus. It's only a matter of time till they come and get us too. And there's Jesus before them. He's got the scars. He says, peace. He says, now what I'm going to do is send you out. You're not just to keep it in here into yourselves. You're to share it with the entire world. See, the empty tomb changes everything. Before, they were just a bunch of guys afraid. Now that the tomb is empty, now that they see the real power of God, in just a few short days, the Holy Spirit will come upon them. They will be doing everything to take the gospel throughout the world. Within 40 days, we find them standing in the public proclaiming the things of Christ. Remember Peter, his first sermon. Man, I wish I could preach like Peter. 3,000 come to the church. Of course, it wasn't Peter's work. He was just the instrument. It was the Holy Spirit's work. 
But here's Peter who denies Christ three times. A little girl comes up and says, aren't you one of those guys with Jesus? And Peter, big strong Peter says, no, no, not me. And then 40 days later, he preaches the word of God. 3,000 come to believe. And then for the next 40 years, they go throughout the known world declaring the truth of the gospel. Chuck Colson wrote this little quote that I want to quote for you. Remember, Chuck Colson was part of the Watergate conspiracy. He went to prison. Uh, He came out a completely changed man. He started uh, prison fellowship. Uh, He just died not too long ago. He wrote this. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it. That's pretty strange. For those of uh, those of us who remember Watergate, you know. He says, because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put into prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me the 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Yeah, no lie. It was no lie there. That was truth. This is what they saw. Christ became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's look at how this is possible. Uh, Look at our passage. Once again, I close my Bible. Make sure. 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to focus on verse 21. I mean, there's, there, it's rich, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20. These are all very, very important things. We're focusing on verse 21 today. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The first one, he made him. Who made him? He. Who is he? It's God the Father. Whew. You're telling me that God the Father made his own son to be sin. Yeah, that's what it says. It says right there. He made him. The point is that it's God's plan. God is behind the whole plan of reconciliation. He designed it. He brings it to fruition. There's no reconciliation between God, a perfect, holy, and just God, and sinners like us. There's no reconciliation unless God does it, unless God ordains it and orders it and brings it to fruition. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none that does good. There is none righteous. No one. No one understands. There is none who seek after God. Only God could send his son into the world. Humble himself. Take on the form of a man. Be obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. Only God, the Father, could ask that of the Son. Only God could design atonement for sin that would satisfy his own standard. Remember, God is... Cannot look upon sin. He is without sin. Sin cannot be in his presence. So God demands for sinners to a a perfect standard to be back into his presence. When was the last time you were perfect? Uh, You weren't, okay? Uh, You just have never been. And, And neither can we ever be perfect. We can never reach the standard of perfection that our Heavenly Father demands in his word. That's why he had to do it. That's why he had to make the way. That's why he had to start the process, design the process, and his only son fulfilled the process. Only God knows what it would take to make a sinner acceptable unto him, and he does it. 
Only God could determine how his law could be completely satisfied, the sinner completely justified, completely forgiven, completely accepted into his presence. Only the Lord could do that. That's why Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, Thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in his inheritance. It is the Father who has done the qualification of us. He has done the work. Only God could qualify us. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of light. That's exactly why Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing under heaven. It was the Father who chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It was the Father who predestined us as adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Everything done to his glory, to his praise. It was the Father who freely bestows upon us salvation. The Father bestows upon us salvation. Where's that part where I have to jump through all these hoops and earn that? I don't see it in here. I see the Father bestowing it upon us. Why? For his glory. Because of his love for us. Because of his care for us. We, the ones who offended him, he makes a way that we can be back in his presence. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. He did the work. Secondly, he made him who knew no sin. Now we talk about this. That we have to have a sinless sacrifice. Because if you go back and you look through the Old Testament, you see again and again that a lamb was to be offered on the Day of Atonement to atone for sin, and that lamb had to be what? Spotless, without blemish. And you had to present that lamb to the priests, and the priests had to examine the lamb. Now, there were some corrupt priests who said, "Uh, this lamb's not good enough, but my cousin is selling some really good lambs down the street. Go and get one from him. Okay, Those were the bad guys. But it's him who knew no sin. Now, the problem is, all of us know sin. In fact, we know it pretty well, don't, don't you think? Some of it, we, don't, we know too well. Some of it, we know too well. But we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is none of us who doesn't know any sin. Who is the one who could bear the full wrath of God for someone else? And we talked about this in Sunday school. And, and, you know, I, I jokingly always invite people to sit in the front row at Sunday school, but they don't like to because I pick on them. I make them the example. You know, and, 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 but let's look at Randy. Could Randy die for you? Well, if Randy was going to die for you to atone for your sin, what would I have to do first with my own sin? I have to atone for my own sin. Well, I can't atone for my own sin because atonement for sin takes the shedding of blood. If I was perfect, then I could atone for my own sin, but I can't even atone for my own sin, let alone anybody else's. But here you have someone who knew no sin, someone who was without sin, the perfect, spotless lamb without blemish. When you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, it says, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And John is writing and he says, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or even to look into it. Then in verse 5, but one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome 
so as to open the book and break the seven seals. There's only one who is worthy, a lamb that was slain. We know that lamb, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. He is the only one who is without sin, worthy to open the book, who could possibly atone for our sin. He has the full authority, the full uh, love and, and satisfaction of the Father. Matthew chapter 17 says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father was totally satisfied with the Son because the Son was without sin. So it's He, God, made Him who knew no sin, that would be Christ, no sin, to what? To be sin. Not that Jesus became a sinner. I don't want you to think that somehow he he became a sinner and became like you and me. It says, he who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. You see, God's righteousness demands that he punish sin. So he took a sinless substitute and he put him in our place. A sinless substitute in place of you and me. Do you deserve that? I don't. But none of us do. But, but that's not the point. It was obvious that none of us deserved it because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But out of God's love for us, out of his desire to, to see us and to be glorified in our lives and in our salvation, this is what he has done. What's it mean that he was made sin? Well, first, a quick view on what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that Christ became a sinner. He had no capacity to sin. He was sinless while still being man. A sinless God, a sinless man. What does it mean that he was made sin? Well, remember the great prophet Isaiah. Oh, the beautiful, beautiful passage in chapter 53. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening that fell on him was because of us. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He didn't die for his own sins. He didn't have any. He died for our sins. So what does this mean? It means the Lord took all of our sin and laid it on Christ. Remember, it wasn't the nails, it wasn't the spear, it wasn't the, the physical anguish, it was the weight of our sin. God treated Christ as if he were a sinner. By making him pay the penalty for sin, though he was innocent. And more than that, God treated him as if he had sinned all the sins of all who would ever believe. Think about that. All the sins of all who ever believed poured upon him. He hadn't sinned, but it was credited to him as if he had. He was made sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. God put our sin to his account. He paid the penalty. All our sin credited to him as if he were guilty, but he wasn't guilty. And then, then God pours the full fury of his wrath upon Christ on the cross. Is it any wonder that he said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He was treated in the way that you and I deserve to be treated. He didn't deserve to be treated that way. He wasn't sinful. But you and I deserve that. But he took it for us. 
Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse by being made a curse for us. Therefore, any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. It's as if we took off the old garments and put on the new garments. Remember, in Revelation, there will be a final wedding feast. And like the parable in Matthew teaches, um, you know, the only way you can get into the marriage feast is if you have the right clothes on. Who provides the right clothes for those who are going to the marriage feast? The bridegroom, the father. You have to be dressed in the right way, robed in the clothes of Christ, of his atonement, of his forgiveness. So all of this is summed up in the answer, what did he provide for us? There it is, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become righteous before the Lord. It is not our own righteousness. It is not as if I've jumped through the hoops, I've dotted my I's, I've crossed the T's. The Lord is going to be so pleased with me when I get there because I have been so good. And the answer is, have you been perfect? Well, there was a couple days where I didn't quite measure up. Then you haven't measured up at all unless you are in Christ because Christ was perfect. You can't get to the Lord on your own. Philippians chapter 3, we are now found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own, but clothed in his, clothed in his. The very righteousness which God requires to make a sinner acceptable to himself it is the very righteousness that God provides. So how do you get this righteousness? How do you get it? Okay, if the tomb is empty, the righteousness of Christ is given to us, our sin is credited to him how do you get this righteousness well it's very clear you believe you believe you're a sinner you believe that your sin has alienated you from God you believe that you have no hope of reconciliation with the Lord who is perfect outside of his action and then you believe that God sent his son into the world in the form of a man to die as your substitute that Christ took on your sin that the tomb is empty And you believe that the tomb is empty and God has raised him from the dead. Believe that Christ offered himself and paid the price for your sin. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. It's the promise of the empty tomb. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And it is laid out for us. That the tomb is empty and we are called to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in a risen Lord, a victorious Lord, one who has overcome the grave. You laid upon him the sins of the world and you laid upon us the righteousness of Christ. Lord, looking at our own hearts, it's not a fair trade in our minds. Why would a perfect spotless lamb give his life for us? Because it's a love that we cannot understand outside of what you have done. It's not a love we'll find in this world. It's not a love that's demonstrated in this world outside of those who are new creations in Christ. And Lord, to all of this, all that you have offered, all that you have done, we simply sing your praises and give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.